Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 234 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is TikTok, It's Lime O'Clock, an interview with author Kristen Anos. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. Today's a very special day for us here at Tick Bootcamp because one of our community members, Kristen Nanos, has written a book to help you on your Lyme journey. She goes into really great detail about things you can benefit from throughout your Lyme experience. So without further ado, TikTok, It's Lime O'Clock with Kristen Nanos. Hey, Kristen Anos, and welcome back to the Tick Bootcamp podcast. And of course, this is a new experience for us, at least together, me, you, and Matt, because the last time we interviewed you, you were just a regular Lyme, but now you've taken the step forward and you've now become an author of the TikTok It's Lime O'Clock uh, book. So Krista, how does it feel to be an author and now joining us as an author rather than just a regular person? Well, first, thank you so much for having me back. I'm thrilled to be here. And it feels great to be an author. It feels really, really cool. And we're really excited to have you on as an author as well, Chris. But I have to actually begin this podcast with a confession. Okay. And my confession to you is I actually was not looking forward to reading the book. Mm. And the reason I was not re- looking forward to reading the book is you actually shared pieces of this book with us. We had some conversations with one another where you were asking me to give you my input. <laughs> I gave you my input. You didn't really like my input. Matt, of course, was always Matt, the people pleaser. And he was saying all kinds of nice things to you while we were having the conversation. Again, having this concern and this resistance and this belief that perhaps I was going to like the book. And as it turns out, Krista, I love the book. I absolutely love this book. And I'm not just saying it because it's you. And I'm not just making this confession, you know, because I'm I enjoy confessions. I generally don't even know I'm a good Catholic. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm making this confession because as it turns out, I absolutely love the book and I love it so much. I read it a second time and I am going to recommend it, but I do want to get into talking with you about your vision for the book and why you wrote the book. And I, I'm just wondering whether or not the reason you wrote the book and whether or not I love the book for the same reason. And, and, and I'm just wondering whether or not uh, you know, why you wrote the book is going to be consistent about what with why I'm going to recommend the book. Well, first of all, thank you. I'm so glad that you loved it. I was wondering where that little tangent was going. <laughs> um, you know, it really happened quite organically. I didn't seek out um, my life, you know, to write a book. I, you know, getting diagnosed two years ago, Uh, my life changed so much as I started Lyme treatments and being a storyteller and actor that I am, I felt like I wanted to keep sharing my story. And then the pandemic hit and I was a writer as well, writing a lot of screenplays. And I just started writing. I was like, I'm going to write a book. I had no idea where the book was going to go. I first thought it was going to be more of a memoir, which it really didn't turn into. And I planned to write that next you know, I share my story in it, but it really turned into a book that I wish I had had when I was first diagnosed. Okay. So, so Chrissy, you wrote the book for other people, right? I mean, you didn't just write Mm -hmm. this for you. I mean, although Mm -hmm. there are elements of a memoir in this, meaning you are introducing your journey to the community. And I think it's an important part of this book, which we're going to talk a little bit about, but you really wrote this book for other people. You wrote the book that you Mm -hmm. wish you had when you started your journey. So talk about what you were missing when you first started the journey and how you believe this book fills the gap? Well, I think there are amazing Lyme books out there. I really love Unlocking Lyme. I love How Can I Get Better or Why Can't I Get Better, Dr. Horowitz's books. 
um, Chronic just came out. You know, these books are incredible, but for someone who's dealing with Lyme and might have a lot of brain fog, uh, some of the verbiage uh, can be difficult to understand. There's a lot of medical terms. It, some of those books can just be very, very dense. And I found it hard to get through when I was going through treatments, especially. And this book really just puts everything into layman's terms. Uh, it makes it much easier to understand. The chapters are quite short. Um, I have a lot of them because I wanted to cover everything I could possibly think of. But, um, you know, I wanted to write a book that is easy to understand and that's uplifting and inspiring. Okay, so so when you when you finally got your diagnosis and you had a long diagnostic journey, you were sick for over 10 years before you finally got your diagnosis, right? Yep, yep. Uh, you, you wanted to go on this quest for information so that you can help yourself to heal. Mm -hmm. And you started to come across these brilliant books like Unlocking Lyme. Yep. Dr. Rawls's book, uh, one of my favorite books. Love it. Uh, I actually read that book five times. I apologize. I only read yours twice. I read Dr. <laughs> Rawls's book five times. Uh, and you still have time to read it three more times. And, well, thank you. And, uh, <laughs> and there are many, there are many other really good books. I mean, yeah. you know, we shared with you on, on, on actually Matt's and my journey. Mm -hmm. uh, I actually read 32 books before we started wow. our podcast. Uh, Matt and I went through those books together, even though Matt couldn't read. So one of the challenges, of course, just Krista mm -hmm. is that, uh, you know, that format is going to matter or platform is going to matter because Matt, for example, when he started at least the part of the journey we were on together, Matt couldn't read. Uh, yeah. His neurological symptoms yeah. were so severe that he couldn't read. Uh, so one of the things that we decided to do with this podcast is we, we went forward with an audio podcast mm -hmm. because folks, uh, folks who are suffering yeah. from, uh, you know, from light sensitivity, for example, or neurological yep. symptoms are very often still capable of, of receiving information in an audio platform, an audio format. Yep. So are you, uh, are you thinking about in addition yes. to doing all the, all the yes. podcasts that you're doing, <laughs> you are, you are considering doing a, I want to uh, make yeah, an audio version of this. There will be a version on Kindle and the paperback and audio will come next. So one of the things that, you know, when I started off on my soliloquy uh, <laughs> and my confession in this, in this, in the beginning of this podcast, I, um, I wanted to, I was wondering whether or not you wrote this book for the same reason I love the book. And the reason, and I think, I think you did. Um, one of the things that, you know, one of the things that I've come to understand now that, you know, I've been uh, studying this subject and interviewing people for a little over two years uh, on Lyme disease is that the Lyme tribe is, um, is a tribe no one wants to join. Mm -hmm. And there are some dangers when you join the tribe as well, because you yeah. really need to get out of the tribe as soon as you can. And you certainly don't want to take on a, a, an identity uh, that will cause you to remain sick. So there's this really interesting balance where you're yeah. pulled into a tribe uh, involuntarily. And when yeah. you get pulled into this tribe, in many cases, you lose your job yeah. and you lose your friends yeah. and you lose your family yeah. and you lose your financial, financial yeah. <laughs> and you lose your health. So it's it. this, this, this tribe that you get pulled into. Um, and, and in some cases, as, as I had argued in the past, people sort of take on this identity of a sick person and it interferes mm. with their ability to heal. Right. So, you know, we have to find ways of helping people out of the tribe, but at the yeah. same time, we want people who are in the tribe to feel good about themselves and begin the healing journey, right? Yeah. And in order to be able to do that, in my view, you have to understand the tribal language. You have to understand mm -hmm. enough about the tribe and the yeah. options available to you so that you can ultimately develop 
the teams and the tools you need to heal, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't mm -hmm. think any other book that I've read other than yours, Krista, gives mm -hmm. people the tribal language they need at the beginning of the journey so that they can begin the process of healing. So the reason I love this book and the reason I'm going to recommend it very aggressively, mm -hmm. despite my early reservations and our <laughs> agreements early on, Krista. Hey, Rich, I have, have to tell you, when we had that talk back over the summer, and I was going over some of the chapters with you, um, I ended up passing a huge tapeworm that night. When we were talking, I was profusely sweating and I felt nauseous and extremely sick. And I remember going and doing some enemas and then texting Matt like, oh my God, I just passed one of the largest, like four foot long worms of my life. I probably don't even know what that conversation was that we were so, having. I was so sick. Wait a minute, Krista. <laughs> so am I now an anti-parasitic? Should somebody call me when they need to pass a parasite so that I can yes, help them pass yes. parasites? Definitely. You stirred up so much emotion inside me that the parasite detached. You stressed her out so much, Rich. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a, I, I have a new gift that I didn't realize that I'm an anti-parasite. Instead, instead of power one and power two, call up Rich, you'll break your shoes and you'll pass a four foot parasite. Yep. So, so let me go back to, let me go back to the point I made before I made this new discovery about my, about my, one of my superpowers. Uh, and, and that is, that is, it's really, I think it's vital for folks who are new to this community to understand the, you know, the tribe that they're a, they're a part of and understand the language yeah. that's necessary for you to communicate with other members of the tribe. Because one of the things we talk with folks mm -hmm. about is becoming a part of a community and learning from other people who have been on the journey and finding models. But if you can't communicate with folks using the same language, meaning if I'm speaking in Spanish and you're speaking in Chinese, we're not going to be able mm -hmm. to communicate with one another. And you're not going to be able to help me if I don't understand you when you're speaking a language that's different than mine. And what right. TikTok, its limo clock does for folks is it essentially gives them a dictionary for lime terms. It gives them language they can use so they can communicate with one another and they can now help mm -hmm. each other in a way they wouldn't be able to if they were communicating in a different language. So Chris, I want, again, I yeah. want to thank you for writing this book and I want to thank oh. you for creating the tool that was thank missing. You. There was a gap in the, in the line yeah. literature that you've now filled, because not only have you yeah. done it in a way that I think is understandable, and I think you, you, mm -hmm. you divided it up in chunks so that even somebody who's struggling neurologically with the, on their Lyme journey, they can read mm -hmm. in, in little pieces, which again, I think is brilliantly done. But I really think what's most important is the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is we now mm -hmm. have a tool that we can give to newbies in the community who yeah. can now get the introduction to the culture and the language, and they can communicate with the tribe in a really healthy way. And yeah. that will help them on their healing journey. So Chris, give, give me your reaction to my take <laughs> on, on, your, uh, on your book and calling it a Lyme dictionary and mm. an important tool for helping folks with the language, the tribal language that they need and the ability to communicate with others in the community that we're inviting them to uh, engage with. I love that so much and I'm so honored um, and humbled by your opinion of it. So thank you so much for that. And when we, when you were talking right now, I was thinking back to before I wrote this book, I started making TikTok videos, which is also how you guys found me. Some of them went viral about Lyme disease and I got flooded with messages. Like I had DMS from strangers fill my inbox every single day on TikTok, on Instagram and I really started communicating with people and they seeked advice 
from me just naturally off the bat. I think because I was so outspoken about my journey Um, and that also really led me to start writing this book. And that's where it changed from a memoir into more of a self-help guide book to Lyme disease. Cause I'm like, okay, here's what people want to know. These are the questions that they're asking me. I have so much advice to give. That's going to be more than just a quick DM back. And I actually started compiling those questions down. So I could answer them and it just kind of fell into this book. Like that's how the format became what it is. So I really felt like it was the community asking for a book like this. And I just, I didn't feel like there was one that, you know, completely existed. One that was like you were saying, it kind of fills the gap. Someone who is battling chronic Lyme disease. I write this, I'm very upfront about it. I'm not in remission yet. I'm quite close. I have amazing days. Um, Some still really hard ones, but I wanted to be upfront about that. This is a book written by someone who was quite sick going through treatments on the roller coaster ride. And if I could write it, you can read it. (laughs) Well, let's pause there for a second, Chris, because Mm -hmm. I think that's another one of the, I think it's one of the problems that many folks who are on a Lyme journey face. And that is Ultimately, when you're setting goals for the for your outcome, what -hmm. should the outcome be? Right. Should it be remission? Should it be cure Mm -hmm. or should it be I'm moving towards living the best life I can live? Because you're clearly one of the people who is, in fact, living, (laughs) living the life that you should live. Right. Yes. Finding your purpose and now contributing back to the community. And I've often described you as a superhero because of the work that you're doing with your support group. And I believe you are running the best support group. And it doesn't surprise me that someone who has now written the kind of book you've written would have the tools that would allow you to run the best support group. Right. But the, but the key, but the key here, Krista is you've also set the proper goals for yourself for outcome. And I, and mm-hmm. one of the reasons why I sort of shy away from the word remission, remission yeah. cure mm-hmm. is because we were corrected, quite frankly, by one of, one of the folks that we had interviewed on one of the episodes of our podcast and rightfully so, right? The goal mm-hmm. is to live the best life and, and, yeah. and you are living a very <gasps> positive life where you're making contributions and you're running really well-designed and well-operated support groups. And you're also writing. So talk about how you had to get through a certain element of your journey before you could listen to the community, Mm -hmm. gather their questions, and then write something that they would want rather than something you wanted to give them. And I think that's a big difference between your book and other books. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more after you react to this. But uh, talk about how you had to get to a certain point in your journey before you could begin to contribute and how you had to make your peace with healing first before Mm. you could ultimately become a contributor. Mm. That's such a good point and such a good question. I really, I didn't really think about it much until right now that this book was kind of coming from the community, which was driving me to write it. Um, That's so interesting. I I do really believe that now that we say that. Um, I think, you know, I just, I, I kept sharing my story I I kept putting it out there, the good and the bad, the highs and the lows, you know, and I've been making a documentary about it as well. It just, I wanted to share my story and help other people. And I think innately by sharing my story, I was helping other people. I didn't have to do that much. I just had to be open and honest and vulnerable. 
and share the bad days because people don't share the bad days on social media. It's a highlight reel, but I went through some really intense treatments. I'm still in treatments and I try to share all of it, but really I just completely surrendered to this journey. Um, I'm so <laughs> humbled again that, you know, that you say I'm, you know, on this amazing, I'm a superhero, all these things like, thank you so much. But my life too is, is difficult. Um, healing is hard. Healing is really hard. And I'm in some huge pivotal moments of my life right now. I've completely surrendered to the journey. I'm at home with my parents in Pennsylvania. I'm moving, I'm leaving Los Angeles. I was there for 10 years. I'm making pivots. I'm finding different dreams and different goals. I was pursuing acting very, very hard. Now I'm looking into possibly doing coaching. I do, I have my support group. That was kind of step one. Now I wrote a book. Uh, I wanna help other people get better. But like you said, remission, I think I wrote this in the book too. It's like, I don't know what term you wanna use everyone's version of healing is different. It's however you feel is what matters when you get to a point where you can feel healthy and happy. That's what matters. But I do think we find our purpose in this journey. And that's what I'm trying to do. And I'm trying to help other people, um, you know, learn from my mistakes, but also know that the ups and downs are going to happen and they can be a blessing in disguise. Well, so let's pause that for a second, Chris, because I, again, I'm not a big fan of the word surrender. So I, I want to challenge you on that. Uh, I don't want you to be entirely in love with our interaction because I am going to have to challenge you on something. So I, I think there's a big difference between acceptance and surrender. I think they're two very important mm. terms. And because I'm now going, I, I'm, I'm complimenting you and praising you for, for using language and creating a, a book of tribal language, mm. I do want to be a little critical of using the word surrender, right? Because when we're, when we're grieving a loss, we do have mm. to go through this process of grief, right? Mm -hmm. And we can't get through the grief process and we can't get out of the cycle of grieving until we create something new. But before we create something new, we have to accept, right? We have mm -hmm. to we have to get past denial. We have to get past anger. We have to get past our sadness and depression. We have to get past the bargaining and we finally have to get to acceptance. And that's one of the mm -hmm. things that I think I would say that I admire about you in our personal interaction. You've accepted, but you haven't surrendered. And now that you've accepted, you were able to take the next step, which is See, now I think finding your purpose. <laughs> I think, see, I love the word surrender because I think I've surrendered to my journey that I need to be on. I've surrendered in a beautiful way of not giving up, but giving in because we're, all, we're, we're Christian on here um, right now during this talk. And I feel like I've surrendered to God's purpose for my life right now. <laughs> They can't see it, but I can, we're having a little faces going on in this podcast. Um, and I feel like I had such a wall up in my life and I had to surrender in order to get past and start healing. I had to move home. I had to, I was in Los Angeles. I was so sick living on my own. I just w was spiraling out of control and I did not want to move home because I did not want this to happen. And it's happening is that I'm moving back. I was so afraid of taking that next step. And I felt like I would be such a failure to live home, live at home, be 31 years old, moving in with mom and dad. But 
honestly, whatever word you want to use, uh, I like the word surrender because I think I'm giving in to a higher purpose of my life. Okay, look, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I like your definition of surrender better than my, my definition of surrender. Surrender to me is acknowledging mm-hmm. defeat. No, right? no, no, no. Definitely so let, not my definition. But, all right. So, but Krista, think about it in terms of a war, right? Yeah. The, the, the country that wins the war hmm. has the, you know, again, well, let's, let's say within our own country, the civil war, <laughs> right? The South surrender to the North, right? Yeah. Surrender means I lose, right? So that's why I don't like the word. I don't like. I'm not word. surrendering to Lyme disease. That's the difference. Right. I'm surrendering to my journey. I'm surrendering, about, surrendering to the healing journey. How about you change the term? Use acceptance. <laughs> Use acceptance. I've accepted my disease. I've accepted my 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 responsibility to pursue my purpose. I've accepted and located my purpose, right? Because Chris, that's really what is necessary for people to heal, right? Mm. You have to accept, you have to then find your purpose. And once you find your purpose, you can then go on the healing. I journey. think it's and- even more than acceptance, though. It's more than acceptance because I accepted it back in Los Angeles. I was like, I got Lyme disease and I'm going to share it with the world. But there was this huge part of my life and God and this plan that I wasn't allowing to enter into my life. And that's more than acceptance. That's really opening up. We can say opening up, being open to the different possibilities. (laughs) I would argue that you weren't fully accepting your, your, your Lyme disease, because part of part of fully accepting that you had Lyme disease is accepting the journey and accepting the entirety of the journey and, mm-hmm. and going forward with recognizing that this is not something that's bad, but it's something that's good because it was taking you on the spiritual quest to finding your journey it was taking mm-hmm. you to a place where you can now strip off all of the things that were holding you back from becoming the superhero that God created you to become. And you ultimately then became that superhero, right? So Mm. maybe you wanted to be some actor and maybe you should have been doing those kinds of things, or maybe Mm -hmm. the way God created you with the various gifts and creativity tools that he gave to you, Mm -hmm. but you needed to discover a different part of and a different path. And you couldn't do that until you accepted the path rather than resisting it by holding on to the things that were allowing you to be sick. (laughs) Accepted, surrendered, and moved forward. Okay. So we'll we'll once again agree to disagree. Agree to disagree. Use of the terms acceptance and surrender. But so let's, let's talk a little bit more about now how acceptance was a part of this journey and how you now capture the essence of a book that the community needed by listening to the questions of the community, right? Because I, I, one of the things I wanted to share with you and one of the reservations I had about the book mm-hmm. was whether or not this book was written for Krista mm-hmm. or this book was written for the community, right? So mm-hmm. the resistance that I shared with you early on was, look, I really wasn't interested in reading Krista's memoir, if truth be told. I interviewed mm-hmm. you on the podcast. I know your story. We spent a lot of time together. We feature you a lot. Like, I, I know it. Yeah. I, I, didn't, I didn't really Nothing want to read it again. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's what, that's, that was part of my resistance, but I was certainly very interested in reading something that I believed would help a community for the community. And I didn't realize that's the book you were writing. And that's why I love it so much. You have mm-hmm. written a book for the community. You have yeah. written a book that they need. And one yeah. of the things that I don't like about a lot of the other books that I've read, and, and I've read, I think almost 50 line books at this point in mm. my, you know, in my journey 
is that most of the books in large part were written for the author. Mm-hmm. They weren't written for the community. They weren't yeah. based on foundations for the community. They weren't written in language that the community would, would appreciate. They weren't written in a format that for the community, right. they were written for them. Right. Mm-hmm. Some people it's because they are promoting their business. Sometimes they're promoting a product. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's promoting whatever. Yeah. This book was actually written for the community. And mm-hmm. I was, you know, and, and it certainly became very clear to me that it was written for the community. I didn't realize it was written based on the interaction you were having with the community. So talk about how, how that was an important reason yeah. for uh, the creation of this book and why that's an important reason um, for uh, encouraging people to read this book. Well, I think it's important to note that there are four sections of the book. The first one being my story and healing journey. The next one being navigating the medical community. Part three, navigating day-to-day life with Lyme disease. And then part four, to our friends and allies who don't have Lyme. I felt like those the last three sections are so vital in the community. And that's what really makes my book for other people and not for me. I wanted to share a bit about my story because I've read some memoirs, especially I read Bitten by Allie Hilfinger when I first got diagnosed two years ago with Lyme. Sorry, bite me. Thank you. Bite me. Um, You can just edit that and change that out. No, (laughs) Lyme brain. Um, bite in, uh, bite me. Oh my God. And I had so many aha moments relating to her story. So that's why I also felt it, you know, was important to share a bit about my story so people can know, like, this is me. I'm going through the ringer. Like I, I had COVID-19 Lyme disease. I had black stuff pour out of my feet in my face, my entire body. I got covered in a swamp monster. Like I've been in some really dark places mentally, emotionally, physically as well. And I just wanted people to know that you're not alone. So that was the first why I wanted to share a bit about my journey. Let, let's um, pause that for a second, Chris. Sure. I, I do want I do want to pick up on your reference to Bite Me because it's one of my favorite books. Bite Me. Right? <laughs> Bite me yeah. So Bitten, good. Bitten, Bitten is also Bitten one of my favorite great. books. Yes. A very, a very different, very different book for a very different reason. But let, let's yep. stay with let's stay with Bite Me for a second. Uh, written by the brilliant Ali yep. Hilfiger, an absolute genius, mm-hmm. uh, without without question. Uh, one of the one of the challenges that we have with folks who we recommend Bite Me to is, well, one of the some of the pushback that we get back was, well, that's Ali Hilfiger. She's mm. the daughter of a very wealthy man and she mm. had unlimited resources and that right. really doesn't apply to me. And, um, right. you know, again, I don't, I don't buy that false belief. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I think these are really nice companion books. I really, I'm really happy that you brought that up because I was going to bring it up. Mm. Uh, and that is because I think you and Ali have written very similar books, but from a very different perspective, right? Mm-hmm. You're not from a wealthy family. You didn't have unlimited resources. You tried to take care of this on their own. You got to the point where you had to move mm-hmm. back in with your parents because you were out of resources. So talk about how there are parallels between your journey and Ali's journey, but you came from a very different perspective where you got to the point where you were impoverished and couldn't take care of yourself and take care of your dog, yet mm-hmm. you still went to a point where you could heal and now write a book and you could run a, a support group and do all kinds of other really cool things that you're working on in the community. Yeah. Well, 
Thank you. Um, and I do love Allie Hilfinger's book and her whole journey. Um, I have to say that finances, God bless, has not been a huge issue for me. Uh, my parents have funded me completely with these medical treatments. So that's been extremely helpful. And many people don't have that opportunity. And I did write a chapter in here called cost-effective treatments that you can do yourself. People ask me that all the time that I don't have money. I don't know what to do. And there are so many tools that we can do that are free that we can start doing ourselves. So I wanted to make sure that I included that. Um, but what was the question that you were? Yeah, but let, and let's stay with that for another second, Chris, because I think, sure. you're, I think you're bringing up a really good point, which is, okay. you know, a lot of people come into the community before they're true members of the tribe, before they have, you know, in, become enmeshed mm -hmm. uh, in the community, before they have learned the tribal language they need to communicate with people, and they use the most expensive tools first, right? They think mm -hmm. because it's expensive, it's good. They think because it's a lot right. of money, it's good. They think because it's recommended by Dr. X, it's good. <laughs> Not identifying yeah. what they should be doing first. And of mm -hmm. course, taking into account that it is a long journey and that you have to husband your resources mm -hmm. and you should be really careful with your money from the very beginning so that well, you can get to where you need to get to. And I le we learned that the hard way as well. We started off with hyperthermia, um, which was very, very expensive. And it helped a lot. But as you'll read this book, it's like I learned so much more um, in hindsight of how I should have started, what I should have been doing, what would have been most beneficial to me and my body and my healing journey. Now, who knows where I would be if I hadn't done hyperthermia. I can't take back anything. I don't want to. This is my journey and it's all happened, you know, for a reason. Um, but I, you know, I, I share my order of operations that I find to be very, very helpful. Also noting that everyone's different, please continue to consult with your own practitioner. My body is not your body, but in general, this is a great way to go about treating Lyme disease well, that can be financially affordable. But, but finance has to be an important element at the very beginning of the journey. You should yes. be using all of the tools that you can yeah. use that are either covered by insurance or can be mm -hmm. used without cost. And again, the mistake, the, the, yeah. the big mistake that many people make is they go for this really aggressive, really costly kill protocol, for example, yeah. and they haven't prepared their body to do oh, to, to that was me that was me all too. the kill and in many cases not only not only are they using Thanks something that's, that's going to bankrupt them but they're right. actually going to use something that's going to make them sicker and that's yeah. why it's important for us to understand that finance is an important element yeah. of this well, journey and it has to be taken into yeah. consideration from day one well here's the thing too detox and drainage has to be addressed first and it really wasn't talked about that much um, when I was first diagnosed, but also you see these doctors who immediately tell you, this is what you have. You have Lyme disease and I'm going to treat it and I'm going to cure it. A every doctor I've met so far has said, this is the way you're going to be better. And most of them have all been wrong. And we just, we listen because we are desperate when we finally get diagnosed, especially because it's been most likely months to years to decades being sick let's be real, like Lyme is just overlooked and we live and we learn, we put the pieces together ourselves of this crazy puzzle. And by the time we get this diagnosis and we start treatments, we listen to the doctor and we do that. We jump, we jump overboard. We, we go to the first treatment we know we hear of that's very expensive. And I, you know, wish I had 
listened or talked to more people. I wish I'd listened to Tick Boot Camp when I first got diagnosed. You know, I mentioned you guys quite a bit in this book because you guys have been so helpful to our community. Um, but again, this is my book. You know, I hope others can learn from my mistakes and we keep moving forward from that. But know that every doctor, even Lyme literate doctors, they might not be the right one. Also, I've not found anyone in this journey, and I know a lot of people in the community, to have a one and done doctor. Lyme, it's called TikTok, it's Lyme o'clock because on the front cover, it's a clock with all the other co-infections and toxins that we deal with Lyme disease. It's never just Lyme disease, never. Everyone deals with co-infections, mold, parasites, heavy metals, all of it needs to be looked at and addressed. And that's when you're truly gonna heal. And not every doctor mentions all of that. Not every doctor focuses on that. They think of just about Lyme disease, especially if they're a Lyme literate or just their way, their way or the highway, whether it's antibiotics, IVs, herbs, it doesn't matter, it's their way. And maybe it works for some people, but we have to be open and able to pivot, to leave a doctor and keep seeking treatment until we find one that really works for us. So Chris, I just want to back up what you're saying. <clears throat> We've had so many people on this podcast tell us that they treated some of the top Lyme specialists in the world. They spent $60,000 in the course of two to three months or hundreds of thousands of dollars in the course of a year. And they've actually gotten worse, right? And then they pivoted yeah. over to another doctor that was a fraction of the price and got better. So just because they're the best and the most expensive doesn't mean they're actually going to help you heal. And I think that's an important part of what you yep. highlight in your book. And we've seen that pattern in our podcast as well. But I just, we've been talking a lot about your particular story, Krista, mm -hmm. and I want to make sure people know that in the show notes of this podcast, we're going to link out to your original podcast titled Healing with Laughter, which was episode 135. And, you know, on that note, talk to us about the role laughter plays in healing, because that's something mm -hmm. that Rich noted drew us to you early on. And a lot of people are drawn to you because of your personality and your sense of humor and, and how funny you are, frankly. <laughs> so talk to us about the role of laughter in your healing journey. Well, I have to say, Rich, I added this chapter for you. I think I may have told you that before, though, when we were talking last summer, you were, like, you, you were like, there better be a chapter about laughter in there. Little did I know you had this whole attitude <laughs> that you weren't going to even read the book, but I wrote this chapter for you. Um, laughter is such an incredible tool on this journey. And it's funny that I wasn't possibly going to write it into the book at first. Um, so thank you. <laughs> but it's something that honestly, it comes very naturally to me being a comedian as well. I just view life like that. Um, I look for the laughs. I really do. I laugh at myself. I laugh at things that, that I experience. I share it with other people so they can laugh, whether it's at me or with me, it doesn't really matter as long as we're laughing. But um, I, you know, doing some research about laughter as well, I was a keynote speaker at TikTok, that's T-A-L-K, TikTok um, conference, Sam's Spoons Foundation. They have this uh, every year, their TikTok event. And I learned more about laughter and how we start out laughing at a very young age, at like four years old, um, a child can laugh up to like, I wanna say it's 300 times a day. And then when you get to be 40 years old, it takes two to three months to laugh that many times, something like that. I can't exactly remember the statistics right now, but like what happens when we get older, we, and especially when you deal with a chronic illness, like life just gets hard 
And it's not as fun. It's not as funny as it once was, but your body can't distinguish the difference between fake laughter and real laughter. So if you're fake laughing, you are reaping all the benefits that real laughter has. And I, I just think Lyme is hard. It's, it can be a really, really dark illness and we have to choose to find the happiness and joy and laughter every day. It's completely a choice that I make. Well, Krista, you, and a little more detail on this because you did touch on this in the book as well is, is that laughter actually will take you out of fight or flight and mm -hmm. will put your immune system in a healing mode yeah. and anger will actually shut down your immune system and take you out of a healing mode. So mm. it's really important that we, we talk about the physiological benefits of laughter. Not, not only will it, not only will it uh, make you feel good, it will actually enhance your immune system and will enhance your healing. And a lot yeah. of that has been played out in the community. One of the things, again, going back to parallels between your book and Allie Hilfiger's book, one of the things that Allie talked about in her book was how she, as part of her healing toolbox, she, she collected all of her favorite movies and she loves watching particular movies or particular actresses because it made her laugh and it made her feel good and it enhanced her healing. So you're mm -hmm. right. One of the reasons we were attracted to you is because we saw that you had that as part of your essence and you were laughing through the process and it allowed you to heal. And that's yeah. an important piece of this. So thank you, Matt, for, for identifying but, that. And, and Rich, let's just expand upon that for because Krista talks a lot about this in more detail, but just for our, our listeners to give them a little bit of information, we've learned from the podcast and doing some research after reading Chris's book that we know when you have Lyme disease, your cortisol receptors in your brain don't work properly. And what does that mean? That means that your body now is constantly pumping out cortisol, which creates more stress and adrenaline. And adrenaline. It creates mm -hmm. more, it, your, your body gets stuck in fight or flight. It increases inflammation. And one of the ways to help that is brain rewiring, but also another way to help get out of that constant state of fight or flight and decrease that cortisol level is to laugh. So there's so many mm -hmm. physiological studies that prove laughter can help you heal. And I think if people read your book, they're really going to learn, even if it's fake laughter, they should do it yeah. every day to help them aid in their healing journey with Lyme disease. So a follow-up question though, Krista, is I want to clarify something that Rich said earlier. And I don't know that I agree with him on this because Rich, it sounds like was implying that the target audience for your book is primarily people who are newly diagnosed to chronic Lyme disease. And is that something that you would agree with? Or do you think your book has a, a wider target audience than that? I think it has a wider target audience for sure. I wrote it for someone like me too, who's been in treatments for two years. Um, and my other friends just based on, um, you know, we get stuck, we go down these treatment roads and it's been a couple years maybe. And we get stuck, we get stuck in life. We get stuck on this journey. And I wanted to write chapters. I can help someone basically get unstuck. So we got unlocking Lyme and we got me unstucking Lyme. <laughs> um, I really think it's extremely beneficial for someone just diagnosed. I think this is the book that I wish I had had two years ago, or even really 12, 13 years ago would have saved me a lot a decade of my life to learn that I had Lyme disease. You know, I have a chapter about the most common symptoms of Lyme. I want people to have those aha moments that I had with Allie Hilfinger's bite me. Um, and I also wanted to write a, a section to people who don't have Lyme disease, to my family who just doesn't get it, to friends who just don't get it. But I do think that it can be for a Lyme warrior, um, who's been down this road, who's had Lyme for a while and maybe just needs a little bit of inspiration to change their path 
and to keep going. So Chris, I'm going to push you a little bit more on that. So let's talk okay. about, give me something specific. Matt Sabatello, who's almost seven years in from being diagnosed, read this book and thought he wasn't going to learn anything new. And I was wrong. There was so many things that I walked away with that I learned that I never thought yeah. I would from reading your book. But I know our listeners are going to have the same doubts I had because they've been chronically mm-hmm. sick from Lyme yeah. for many, many years. So give us some specific examples in your book at a high level even that can assure our listeners that they're going to benefit by reading your book and buying your book on Amazon. Mm. You're really just wanting me to sell my book now. Um, You know, I was so sick for so long that before I knew I had Lyme disease. And I think the whole section navigating day-to-day life with Lyme is really for that. I think I talk a lot about living with it. I talk about dating with Lyme. I talk about having a job and working with Lyme. These subjects really aren't in other medical Lyme books. I'm living, breathing, experiencing Lyme disease. And I wanted to share everything I could possibly think of. And I think someone who's been on the journey like yourself for so long, seven years, I mean, we're living it and our life doesn't stop. It can't, many people can't stop their life. They can't stop working. They can't move home with their parents. God bless. I'm very grateful that I could, even though I really didn't want to. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think I just, I wanted to write a book that I, I, I wanted people to feel hope from reading it wherever they were on their Lyme journey. But I'm really interested more to hear about your take on it. What did you like so much about <laughs> So, so one of the things Krista admitted, as you know, from your support group, which again, like Rich, Mm -hmm. I think is the best out there. One of the things that I really took away from your book and I've been trying to improve upon in my healing journey is that I'm worthy. And I struggle with that Mm -hmm. almost on a daily basis. And you talked about dating with Lyme and you talked about, you know, that that you can still live a happy life while healing from Lyme disease. And when I read part three of your book, Navigating Day-to-Day Life with Lyme Disease, it Mm -hmm. really struck a chord with me because it helped me reinforce that I am worthy and help me get rid of a lot of those false beliefs that I had that I'm this damaged, broken person. And I think I didn't realize how true that was of me until I read your book. And I went through Mm -hmm. so many emotions, this emotional roller coaster about reading your book, because I didn't think that I was still emotionally, I guess, uh, you know, broken from Lyme and and your book helped me heal in that regard. But now, Thank you. <laughs> so I do want to go on, but but I do want to, so are there any other things, Chris, because I mean, there's a lot you talk about on navigating day-to-day life with Lyme that I think can help people that have been, you know, sick with Lyme and diagnosed with Lyme for decades. So is there anything yeah. else that you want to talk about? I mean, even, even things about asking for help or yeah. willing to admit that you don't know everything, because a lot of us think like I did, right? I know everything there is to know about Lyme disease. I know more right. than every doctor out there, but I don't, right? right? So give us no. more specific, you know, information about what people can gain from reading your book, even though they may have been sick or have been sick with Lyme disease for about 20 years or more? Well, I I really do think that this section, this part three, navigating day-to-day life with Lyme, definitely rings a bell for people who've been battling Lyme for a while. Um, I talk a lot about, you know, setting boundaries, um, comparison kills. I talk about Lyme support groups. I talk about social media the, the highs and the lows, the goods and the bads, you know, and we need all of it. I think asking for help is so hard to do. Fear of missing out is a huge one. I have a lot to say about the fear of missing out, um, whether it be the fear of missing out with your friends or 
the fear of, you know, just fear in general, the fear of flaring, the fear of not being where you want to be in your life. I had a friend recently who has chronic Lyme disease say she's turning 25 and she's nowhere near where she wanted to be in her life. And I'm like, I'm about to turn 32 (laughs) and I'm not where I want to be in my life. I'm living at home with my parents, but like, look how far we've come and we have to keep going. Um, I talk about creating your self-care toolkit. It's funny. We, in my support group, healing Haven group, um, these are the topics that we talk about every week. Um, it really is like a live version of my book. And I love that. And I think I get so, so much inspiration from other people's stories. And I just hope that, you know, all the chapters that are, that brood, is that a word? Brood from people's questions to me and the advice that people really, really wanted to hear. Um, I think that that section in particular is kind of for us, the Limeys who've had it for a while. And I think navigating the medical community um, is great for us as well too. I've changed so many doctors and needed to you know, refresh myself on that, but especially for someone who's just diagnosed, how to find a doctor, what to do when the doctor doesn't feel right. Like I wish I had had that two years ago and I really go through step-by-step what to do, the plan of attack um, to keep going, to, to really get better. And I think this book is more than just getting better. It's also being happy and finding happiness through the struggle and throughout this journey. And that was really important for me to note in this book. So I, I did I did want to know, Krista, that I pretty much attend, as you know, almost all of your support groups that are <laughs> twice a week. And yeah. I can attest to the fact that what you teach in your book is what yeah. you reinforce in your support group. I mean, I remember, I think it was the first support group you had. I ripped out my, my digital toolbox of my self-care toolkit and I read it aloud and we discussed it in great detail. And I know it was very yeah. helpful to people and then everybody else did the same. And again, being this person who thinks I know everything, I learned so much from people sharing their toolbox with me that I never thought I'd benefit from. But yeah. also I, what I really liked about the book was certain things that I thought I knew and understood and was doing good with in my life, like setting boundaries, how to love mm-hmm. a body that doesn't love you back, mm-hmm. stop fearing the worst. You gave specific yeah. tips and tools to help me be even better at those things that I didn't think I could improve upon. So that was for me a really cool part of reading your book as well that I didn't think I'd take away from. Mm. So I do want to pivot and include Richard's discussion a little bit because the fourth part of your book is to our friends and allies who don't have Lyme, aka Rich Johannesson, right? (laughs) So Rich, I want to ask you, reading Krista's book, what did you learn about interacting with people in the Lyme community and specifically Mm. me, right? I mean, we've been working together for years. We've known each other for over a decade. What did you learn from Chris's book to help you better work with me and others in the community? I think what captured, I I think what Krista captured best is the importance of taking responsibility for interacting with people in your life and helping them to understand what your needs are. I think Mm -hmm. one of the challenges, for example, Matt, you and I had early on when we started the podcast and you weren't feeling well enough to do the podcast. And I was a guy without Lyme disease, interviewing people who had Lyme disease about a Lyme disease podcast that I was getting frustrated with you at times. And I think one of the reasons why I was getting frustrated is because you weren't 
in a position at the time to communicate with me and let me understand where you were and how you were feeling and how I could help you. And because there was that lack of communication and a lack of establishing boundaries, I got frustrated with you and I guess you got frustrated with me. So I think it's important when you're mm-hmm. on the Lyme journey, and I think Chris has captured this very well in that last section of her book, to recognize that you can't just expect everyone to understand how you feel. You can't expect everyone to understand what you need. You can't expect to understand that people are going to meet those needs. You have to, in addition to taking responsibility for your own care, um, you have to also take responsibility for communicating with the people in your life who love you and want to help you so they can help you in the way that you need to be helped rather than just expecting them to know how to do that. Yeah. So I want to bounce around to part two of your book. And just for a high level outline, you know, part one is your story and healing journey. Part two is navigating the medical system. Part three is navigating day-to-day life with Lyme. And part four is to our friends and allies who don't have Lyme disease. We've touched Mm -hmm. on all of them, but I want to bounce back to parts one and two briefly. And part two, Krista, is navigating the medical system. And one of the things that I admired about you the most when we first met was your ability to know when a doctor is not right for you and fire that doctor and move on, even if they were the best doctor in the world that you were treating with. So yeah. you share this a little bit about what you discuss in the book that can help people. Again, people that think, I don't need, I know all that already. I mean, I thought that too, but I still gained so much insight from you, both personally yeah. and in your book about how to manage my doctors and even my existing doctors, how to better interact with them. So talk to us about that and how people that are listening that have chronic Lyme, have had it for a long time, can benefit from that section of your book. Well, yeah, I really think it is about learning to trust your body and learning to be the boss of your healing. We are, we become our best doctors. We really do. You know, being on this journey for the past two years, I've learned so much about my body. And over the past 12, 13 years, I've learned about my body, but I wasn't really listening to it. Now I intuitively know and understand what I need because I'm so in touch with my body and what exactly is going on. And I really wanted to to write about that and help other people get in touch with their bodies too, because we all can. Just so many of us are just forcing it. We want to, we want to get better. We we want that magic pill. Other people want us to take a magic pill and get better. And we really want that, but it just doesn't exist. At least not yet. Maybe one day, but I don't know. But for now it doesn't exist. And we have to learn how to heal. And healing is emotional, it's physical, it's spiritual, it's, it's everything, it's mental. And we have to really touch on all of that and be open to, to touching on all of that. This, I, yeah, I did, I had to fire one of the best doctors um, in, in the Lyme community. Um, she was not the right doctor for me. It was not working out. And it was a really, really hard decision to make. And I'm so glad that I did it. But at the time I was sweating. I was crying. I was in hysterics on the floor. I, I called Matt. I'm like, I can't think straight. Something's wrong. I'm dying. My life doesn't matter. Like really, really dark. It was one of the darkest periods of my life. And I was living alone and I was battling this alone and I didn't have an advocate with me. And I talk about that in the book, having someone with you be your advocate with the doctor. And if they can't be with, um, with you physically to have them on the phone. I, I would talk with these doctors and I would have such bad brain fog and be so sick. I didn't remember what they said. Try, you know, ask if you can take a voice memo 
one Lyme doctor said yes, one said no. <laughs> so you have to ask and then, you know, you go with the flow, you do what's, whatever you can. But then I would have my mom be on the phone, on speakerphone, but I got steamrolled by doctors. I got gaslit by Lyme doctors too, which I didn't think was going to be possible because I was on the journey for 10 and a half years before I met, I met a Lyme doctor and I was gaslit for those entire, you know, that decade. People said my symptoms didn't exist, la da 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 da. And I didn't fight for myself. I didn't stand up. And I wanted to write this, this section of the book where you can become your best advocate. So Krista, let's talk about doctors gaslighting you. And I think that comes in a lot of different forms, but the impact that it has on your ability to read your own body signals, because you, oh. you just... You just, in your book, I think you did a great job of yeah. talking about reading your body signals and being mm -hmm. your own best doctor. But if you're, if you're working with people who are telling you that your signals are wrong and yeah. you trust those people, and then you stop relying on those signals, then you lose so the ability to interpret those signals. So talk yeah. about how you had to have this really bad experience with one of the top Lyme doctors who we yeah. all remember you were really excited to work with <laughs> yeah. before you came to understand that even subtle gaslighting yeah. is dangerous, not only because of what it does to you mentally, yeah, but what yeah. it does to your ability to read your body signals and have confidence in your body yeah. signals. Yeah. Uh, you doubt yourself. You begin to doubt yourself. You doubt everything. <laughs> she, this doctor told me, um, even though I was, had been passing worms, ended up in the ER. You know, I talk about that in our first podcast. And the ER doctors say, no, you don't have parasites. I'm like, what was that worm in that toilet? They're like, eh, we don't know, but you don't have parasites. And this Lyme doctor made me doubt that as well. Um, what you could physically see. You doubt what I could physically see because I did stool samples and they came back negative. And that is just, that's what happens. That, that is so common in the Lyme community. And people can go listen to Dr. Klinghart who can explain why it's so common. Basically, you got to, test the worm within the first 15 minutes, it can start to disintegrate, like all these things. The testing is so inaccurate. Uh, it's just a, a nightmare, but like I've had parasites. It's been one of the biggest reasons why I'm healing now is has been treating parasites, but I experienced a lot of gaslighting. And I think at the time too, I didn't know it was gaslighting. We become so desperate to get better that we want to listen and to believe everything that someone tells us, we just, we just do it. It's innate. It's um, how I was raised. Honestly, it's how I grew up thinking about the world, listening to the white coat doctors. And even in the Lyme community, it's the, it's the same thing. We have to really listen to our bodies. And I don't know that I want to help other people do it, but you have to learn how to do it on your own. So, Crystal, let's talk about the gaslighting cycle, because this is something Matt and I deal with all the time, right? Mm. Where, where we observe somebody that we've interviewed clearly go through a gaslighting experience. Yeah. And when we point it out, like, I wasn't gaslit because there's a certain <laughs> like element of you being a weak person or... Yeah you know, you not, you know, so, so you, you don't want to acknowledge that you've been gaslit because it right. somehow implies that you're weak or limited or right. something like that, which then puts you, I mean, you just, it, it's sort of this like cycle of doubt that gets you to a point where 
you don't know which way to turn and you don't know what to believe and you don't feel comfortable with believing what you feel and feeling what you feel. And it's just, it's right. just a disaster. And I, I, and I will say to you, right. you know, we were with you when you went on that journey with that star doctor and we were excited yeah. for you to work with that doctor at the time. But yeah. I actually think that was a really important part of your, uh, of your healing journey, because <laughs> from that point forward, you became a more confident person and a more yeah. independent person. So give us those two things about <clears throat> how you feel when you're being gaslit and wanting to deny that you're being gaslit because that somehow implies yeah. that you're not smart or strong or something like that. And then give us a second piece of, <clears throat> of that, which is how that really terrible gaslighting experience that you went through <laughs> actually put you in a great position to get right. to where you are now. Well, I think being gaslit by these doctors, it never is just the doctor too, which is the hardest part. It's your family believing in that doctor. It's your friends believing in that doctor. You just start to second guess yourself because everyone wants you to get better. We're all on the same page, but there's so many miscommunication fires cross wiring. Um, but we, we all want the person to get better. Like I want to get better. Um, but you can't force it. And when you are, are experiencing that, I don't know how to, okay, I can't explain it. Let's see. When I was seeing that doctor and I write this in my book, how do you feel walking into that office? I felt not good. <laughs> how did I feel when I had my sit down meeting with her? Um, she barely paid attention to me. Um, she treated me like I was a general Lyme patient, didn't really care to listen to my specific symptoms, just looked at my chart and said, oh, you have very active Lyme disease because I had just gotten over COVID. So she was like, it's IgM, meaning I was like recently bit by a tick. I'm like, no, I was bit by the tick 20, 20 years ago. She's like, no, no, no. And I'm like, yeah, I just had COVID. Like it just stirred it up. That's all this is. But she's like, we need to start training right away. And I felt like, my opinion on the treatments didn't matter. I had to do it her way. Yet I was so sick. Also having just had COVID. I mean, I was in pain, physical pain, day-to-day -day pain. I didn't want to feel that way anymore. I'm like, give me an IV where I feel better. Do something. Give me some pain feel something. I need to start feeling better. And when you, I was in fight or flight, hundred percent. I was in fight or flight. I couldn't think clearly. I was just being what is that, that animal, a lemming, lemmer, lemming, a guinea pig. I don't know. <laughs> One of those small animals that just follows a sheep. Well, all these animals, they just follow <laughs> the crowd. Um, and you just go with the flow, not in a good way. Not the, I sometimes think of going with the flow is great, you know, but it's not in that instance, when you're being gaslit by a doctor, you got to break that cycle. And I didn't know how to break the cycle until it happened. And then I wrote it in my book and you really have to listen to yourself. How do you feel when you're with this doctor? Are they listening to you? Um, are you able to ask them questions? Are you able to email them when you're not with them? I emailed this doctor when I was in a crisis and she said, you can't email me anymore unless it's an emergency. And I'm like, I'm covered in a rash a painful rash. Is this not an emergency? I, I'm cut. I had black stuff come out of my face and my feet. That was mold toxicity. We, she said it was Morgellons disease. Um, you know, it's just, uh, I didn't feel right with that doctor and I had to move forward with, but it was so hard 
because my parents were like, but she's going to get you better. And I had other family members too that were like, but this is a Lyme literate doctor. This is, you know, that MD, you need that Western medical doctor to get better. And some people do, and some people don't. And at, yeah. I was sorry to interrupt, but I do believe that this, although it was a horrible experience for you, I think this inspired a section of your book titled Preparing for Your Doctor's Visit, yeah, which, you know, for us, Rich and I are huge fans, as everybody knows of Dr. Rawls, and he has a, an article about what to do to prepare for your doctor's visit. But mm. this chapter in your book took it even further based on your own personal experience. And yeah. again, not thinking I can benefit any more from what I've already I've gone through. I was able to use what you talked about in your book with my existing doctors and have an even better relationship to run more diagnostics and really, and have a better, a better way of approaching my healing journey and get even better. So I think, although this was a horrible experience, you're now benefiting so many other people through sharing it in your book. Right. So, um, it also led me to write treatment options. It really, you know, when I first was diagnosed two years ago, I thought it was just hyperthermia. And that's when I started filming my documentary being like, this is going to be it. This is what's going to heal me and save me. And then it didn't. Right. And then I found out I had parasites and I'm like, oh, wow, there's more to this journey. And then I saw this doctor and I started doing IV antibiotics and I did IV ozone. And I'm like, great. These are new tools. These are new treatments. I didn't know of that can really help. And then they didn't. And then I got worse. And then I had to start researching when I started writing this book too. I was like, there are so many treatment options out there that are not just antibiotics that people need to know of. And I asked everyone I could think of in the community. I made these polls on Instagram to see what are the best treatment options out there and then made little blurbs about that. But I do think having to leave that doctor and then seek new treatment for me, it was energy healing. And I write about that too. I wouldn't have seen that energy healer and done the parasite doctor had I not left this this current Lyme doctor. Crystal, let's, let's talk about the star doctors, right? Because Matt and I have had a lot of concerns about star doctors. And the first mm-hmm. time we started to have concerns about star doctors is we've had people uh, DM us on Instagram telling us, hey, I'm on the wait list for star doctor X. And I know yeah. when I get to star doctor X, I'm going to get better. And that person was right. doing nothing other than trying to get him to see star doctor X. That was, no. a, that was that's right. one, one of the things that had us really concerned when we first started it. But actually Matt had, uh, Matt had gotten challenged by uh, Dr. Haystead, uh, Dr. Tim Haystead, when Matt called him a star, right? And, Matt, and, and Dr. Haystead said, do not call me a star. Star doctors are really bad. Mm-hmm. What they do is they place restrictions on the inquiries that we can make, and they start to create these tunnels or these silos that limit the breadth of inquiry that we need to make. So star doctors have a lot of dangers. And you actually introduce, introduce us to another element of a star doctor uh, or another problem with star doctors, and that is it's hard to pivot away from them, right? And it's yes. hard to pivot away from them yourself because you're afraid to do it because you have so much invested in getting into that doctor, but you also have difficulties getting away from them because your family and your friends and all the people who love you and want you to get better don't want you to get away from the star doctor that you got into as well. So you're given a sort of a third level of of challenge that come along with star doctors and maybe we should be staying away from star doctors rather than going to them. Well, I think everyone's journey is completely different, but I would definitely, um, what's the word? Uh, not recommend. What's the opposite of recommend? Caution. <laughs> caution yeah, ca- yeah, caution. Discourage. Yeah, both, both. Good words, guys. Thank you. Um, yeah, caution and discourage people from 
seeking out the doctor that they think is going to be the one all be all and, because they don't exist. And Krista, we, Rich and I totally agree that everybody's experience is different. But again, from recording almost 250 interviews with individualized patients that are suffering from Lyme disease, we have seen generalized patterns. Yeah. And that's not to say there aren't outliers or outliers is everything statistically speaking, but there are yeah. patterns that are true for the majority of the people we've interviewed. And that is that many of these super expensive leading Lyme doctors are not really the ones that have helped these people get better. And we've, we've interviewed some of the wealthiest people that are in the country, yeah. some of the, some of the, you know, the, some celebrities, and they have spent tons of money treating with these doctors to right. only leave and go to somebody else to get better finally with somebody else. So, you, you know, know I think it's important to note that yes, everybody's different, but there are patterns mm -hmm. we can learn and try that in the trial and error process, because the odds are in our favor. If we go with those patterns, we see if that makes sense. Well, I was going to say what Rich had mentioned too, is that we need to be working and healing on our own. I mean, you didn't say it in those words, but that's what you said something. And I was like, I got to say this, um, that your friend had said, I'm waiting, I'm waiting for this doctor. And once I see the doctor, then I'm going to get better. Well, what are you doing in that waiting time? Because you're going to be the one to start healing your body. When you see that doctor, you have that one appointment. You're there for maybe an hour for that appointment. Maybe you're there for a couple hours to get some IVs. What are you doing when you go home? Because Lyme disease doesn't just heal like that. You have to be changing your life, your whole entire lifestyle, right? That's why it's physical, emotional, spiritual, mental, everything. Lyme attacks everything. And you become your own doctor because you have to become your own doctor. And so, so we should always be our own doctor. And that's really the real, that's yeah. the fallacy in the relationship between the patient community and the doctor community, right? right. Doctors hold themselves out as people who are going to make us better. Right. They don't make us better. Yeah. So we I think some people can heal. With them helping us as part of the process, right? So the, right. the entire construct between doctors and patients at every level, not just in yeah. the Lyme community, but everywhere is wrong. And it's harder to understand that when you're going to a to a Lyme superstar, right? Because right. all it is, is an improvement offer on something that is failing. Right, right. No, 100%. And it, it really is what you do um, in the in-between. And I think when you see these star doctors, it's hard to feel like you need to do anything else. That's what it really is. You feel like I'm taken care of. That's how I felt when I did the hyperthermia at that clinic. And it was, it was great, but I, I did not detox enough. <laughs> I didn't, my drainage pathways were not open. I was getting, I was having so many Herxheimer reactions, same thing with the other Lyme doctor that I saw, the star doctor, and I was sick and I felt like, but I, I go to that office and I do that thing and then I'm good. Everyone else thinks that this is it and it's not. So, so Chris, let's stay with this point for another second, because one of the okay. things that Matt and I do not like about uh, some of the people in the, in the community who are good people, who have good hearts, mm -hmm. but what they keep falling back on is, well, it's an individual journey and our bodies are all different and we get mm -hmm. a different combination of germs spit into us. And as a result, there are no rules that's simply not true and i and we really have to we have to burst that fallacy that mm. kind people have when they are essentially thinking they're imposing their opinion on other people right. there are patterns that if you follow them 
will increase the likelihood of you being successful. There yeah. are people like you, Krista, who are very far along in the healing journey mm -hmm. that will serve as a model for other people who are newer in the, in yeah. the community. Yeah. This book is a wonderful tool for people yeah. to look for a guide that yeah. will allow them to shortcut their journey. So let's make sure that we, that we yeah. destroy that fallacy right now. <laughs> And then we stop saying things like, hey, we have to as a medical disclaimer in my book. I had to say that, though, as a medical disclaimer, um, you have to say it. But I, I do think there's a great order of operations that it could benefit every single person with Lyme disease. Chris, let's let's get to the point that we were just at. Right. Which is the relationship between you and your doctor. Right. Mm -hmm. No one is going to heal you. No. no medicine is going to heal you. Mm -hmm. No star doctor is going to heal you. You are going to heal you and other yep. people will help you with frameworks that will assist you in this process. But yep. it's yep. you and you understanding your body and you reading your signals that's going to allow you to get better. Do you yep. agree or disagree with that? 100%. I wrote a book about it. <laughs> What I think, what I think I want to, I want to piggyback on something Chris has said a few minutes ago was the order of operations and the outline there. But I, what I really enjoyed about the book are the two sections that sort of are, are literally one after another in your book about toxin overload, about co-infections and mold and heavy mm. metals and parasites, then followed by order of operations and how they can be related. Because it is true that there is an order of operation that may be beneficial to me that may be a little bit different for you, or I have to spend more time in one area different than you because of what's going on. But there are a lot of commonalities in the chronic Lyme community about things that are keeping us sick. And you do outline all of them in great detail and then discuss yeah. what you have to do from a holistic standpoint to heal from Lyme, including those other toxins and things like genetic mm. deficiencies and how you can overcome them, which many doctors don't really think about. I can tell Rich is wanting to jump well, in. Go ahead, Rich. That, because, <laughs> no, because you're right, right? I think if you're following an order of healing and you're reading your own body signals, you'll then mm. know when it's time to pivot earlier for you, Matt, than Krista yep. did on treatment one. And then Krista will know when it's earlier for her to pivot away than from treatment two with UMass. So it's a combination of these two things where we have an order that is, is going to work regardless of who you are, and then reading your own body signal so that you know when to pivot away. And that's really, I think the importance of the, I think the fallacy that we have to break out of when we're working with the star doctors or any doctor yeah. who are just essentially appealing to our desire to have somebody make us better with a pill rather yeah. than putting us in a position where we can do what you've just outlined and have this individual uh, response to pivoting based on what our signals are. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm going to jump to another section of the book because I'm going to, I'm picking up things here that some critics may state. And one of the things is you talk about how to not get bit by a tick. What are some prevention steps? What to do if you get bit by a tick? And I know a lot of people are thinking, I already have Lyme disease. Why do I care? So how would you address those people who are saying, I already have chronic Lyme. I don't care if I get bit again. I'm already sick. I don't leave the house. I'm not going to get bit. Why are you talking to me about this? How would you address those people, Krista? <laughs> oh, God. Well, I probably wouldn't laugh <laughs> first like I just did, though. Um, yeah. Every tick carries something different, right? Every tick carry something different. And I would think being bit again with possibly getting more co-infections is not going to aid in the healing journey, no matter what. Um, 
you don't, I don't want to get bit again. <laughs> I don't like ticks. I, I don't want to get, uh, I just think it's vital whether you have Lyme or not to protect yourself and to educate yourself on Lyme disease. Also not live in the fear of it. I went on a five mile hike today in the woods in Pennsylvania, but I took the precautions that I needed, right? I wore clothing, full clothing that covered everything. I wore my Ranger ready tick spray. I came home, I immediately took my clothes off, put them in the dryer for 20 minutes um, and then up, went up and took a shower and I was fine and did tick check. There were no ticks on me, but for someone who, I, well, I think there's two parts to that too. There are some people that are like, yeah, I, I already have Lyme disease. I can't get it again. No, but you could get a different co-infection that you don't already have. Or different no, strain. Get more, different strain or we know that the, I talk about this in my book is that it's the toxin overload is when you get sick. I got bit by the tick 20 plus years ago. I was around eight years old, something like that at home. Don't exactly remember the age. I wasn't sick. I had some very, very mild symptoms until I was 19 years old. Actually funny story on that though. I was reviewing medical document doc, documents um, the other week and I was sick freshman year of college. I bet I was exposed to mold. Prior to going to Guatemala, I was sick left and right at the doctor's office in the hospital in Ohio. I don't remember this. I vaguely remember it. I blocked it out of my mind the whole time thinking, oh, it's because I went to Guatemala. No, I was sick freshman year. So I was exposed before I got the parasite. And I, my Lyme was triggered before the parasite. Um, so we live and we learn, you know, I, I'm constantly, but that's explaining away your symptoms when you're healthy, we've all done it. And you talk about that in your book also, even when you, before you get diagnosed, even after you get diagnosed, you make excuses yeah. and you explain away your symptoms when you shouldn't, right. because your symptoms are signals and clues to help you identify what's going on. So you can take steps right. to feel better. And unfortunately, many doctors in your case, and in my case, and mostly everybody listening to this podcast, we've all been dismissed because really nobody can identify what's going on with our bodies. But I want right. to circle back to the whole tick discussion because we've yeah. been told, Rich and I, by probably thousands of people now, that I don't leave the house because I'm, I'm so sick with Lyme, so I don't have to worry about being reinfected. And, you know, the, the question is, do you have any kind of pets? Well, yeah, okay, then you uh -huh. definitely should be on the lookout. Well, I don't have pets. Well, then we did a post recently about if you have a live Christmas tree, it can bring in thousands of ticks. Mm -hmm. Nobody knew yeah. that. There are so many yep. ways you can come into contact with ticks, and people with are not. And <laughs> yeah, and, and people are not aware of it. Yeah. So it's important to do these daily tick checks, as you know it in your book. And it's important to be aware that you're yeah. not only going to get ticks in the woods. There are many other ways you can be exposed to ticks, and to have that mentality of, well, I don't leave the house because I'm sick, is not a good way to we also rationalize know that, that. You can get it from mosquitoes and fleas. That it's not ever just ticks. Oh, Rich doesn't believe in that. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but there are enough people out there and studies that I've seen, at least that it, it's a possibility also through sex, through congenital, child, congenital yep. in utero, all these things, they are possibilities. But I think what's even more important or equally important on someone who doesn't want to leave the house because they don't want to get reinfected is why are they not wanting to leave the house? You can't live in this fear too, even if it's not fear for them, but we have to, are you saying that they're bed bound? And they're stuck in some, the house. Yeah, some have been bed bound, some have been housebound, but you know, all of them, and, and, and I, I don't want to name names, but a lot, a lot yeah, of them not. that have been bed bound have then reached out months later and said, Oh my goodness, I found this tick. What do I do? And it was in their mm -hmm. bed with them and they don't leave their right. bed, right? So, how does that happen? And I, oh, I live no, in a state totally. where, where ticks aren't prevalent. And then they contact us, What do I do? And you know, so that happens. Right. I Look, think now, there's we, also, we have, Chris, go. we have a famous case here on Long Island where there was an infant 
a, a, a two-month-old infant that was bitten by a tick. How did a, a two-year-old infant get bitten by a tick when she was laying in her bassinet? Because a tick came into the house and she ultimately had gotten bitten. But look, I'd like to make another argument to you um, folks uh, who, are, who are managing Lyme disease, and that is um, that I think it's important to understand the process of becoming ill with Lyme disease so that you can re-engineer your healing process, right? So part of what you have to be concerned about is getting reinfected. And Chris, I think you did a brilliant job with discussing that and, and the challenges that come with, with being reinfected and just having more of the microbes in your system that, you're, that your immune system is not able to manage, which is why you're chronically ill. But yeah. there is another element to that, which is in order to be able to get better from what's making you sick, you have to understand the process so you can re-engineer the healing process. Talk to, talk to us about that, Krista. About the process of what? The so importance got... <laughs> of understanding how you got sick so that you can re-engineer the process of getting better. Do you mean by educating yourself about Lyme disease? All of, all of the above, right? Because uh, yeah. mo most people, let, let's, let's talk about this from a statistical standpoint, right? We, we look at numbers all the time. Some people argue that 50% of the people who are chronically ill never found a tick biting them. Some people have argued that it's 80% of the people who are chronically ill from Lyme disease haven't uh, right. found a tick on them. And what that doesn't take into account, Kristen, you've talked about this in the past, is mm -hmm. all those people who have chronic Lyme disease who are not diagnosed. And there are yeah. many more people who yeah. have chronic Lyme disease who are not diagnosed mm -hmm. than those of you who are lucky enough to have been diagnosed and you're now yep. treating it, right? It takes a lot of different forms, right? Yep. yep. If you if you bring those people into this process who who are chronically ill or not even diagnosed, and you add that to the people who are chronically ill and and um and are diagnosed, yeah. very few people ever find a tick on them, and they're chronically ill, right? Mm -hmm. And it's because we're not ch checking consistently, right? So one of the things that you know. I, I often challenge people on our podcast about it, say, well, I only got bitten when I was eight or I only got bitten when I was 20. Or I only got... No, you've gotten bitten repeatedly. You just didn't yeah. know that you were being bitten because you didn't find it. But also, uh, you know, and it's all been a learning journey for me, but there are other things besides Lyme that make us so sick. So most of my symptoms have been parasites. Now, someone else could be living in mold that could be attributing to 90% of their symptoms. At the end of the day, as I've been healing, it hasn't been Lyme for me as much as I thought it had been. Now I still have chronic Lyme disease because that's the root cause and all of it goes hand in hand. Well, but let's say that for a second, Chris, because I think the hand in hand piece is very important, right? Because Lyme, yeah. the Lyme bacteria has developed a symbiotic relationship with all kinds of parasites, right? A mm -hmm. tick is a parasite. And there's a very interesting symbiotic relationship between ticks mm. and Lyme disease, right? Ticks that have the Lyme bacteria actually have more fat and increase their survival rate, especially during the winter. So it benefits the tick. The Lyme bacteria actually changes that. when it's inside the yes. tick. And Matt recently came across a study where there are proteins that, that the tick absorbs and changes the speed at which the bacteria moves through the system when it comes from a tick, right? Crazy. Ticks also have a really interesting uh, relationship with internal parasites, right? Because mm -hmm. what happens is what the, 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 the bacteria gets inside of the internal parasites and then travels to other places in the body, including in your brain, which is one of the things that Dr. McDonald has developed over the course of decades with Lewy body dementia. Right. So yeah, like the Lyme bacteria is yeah. a very sophisticated bacteria, at least in the, in the sense that it is really good at developing symbiotic relationships with parasites. 
it makes perfect sense that they would be mm-hmm. in parasites exterior and parasites interior. Right. And they really are really right. one and the same, Chris. It's not that you are sick from the parasites. Most people, I think, do have parasites because remember, the ticks also have parasites inside of them and they're spitting yeah. the parasites into us, which then, of course, is something that we're dealing with. So this, this but you know what I do? parasite relationship is really powerful. Well, it's all hand in hand. But basically, I wanted to say is that I work with a practitioner now with Cellcore products, which I think are incredible, um, who energetically tests me and sees my levels of Lyme disease, of the co-infections I have, of parasites, of mold, of all of it. And immediately as I treated parasites, my Lyme and co-infections dropped. I did not have to take more Lyme medications. I didn't have to do any tinctures on Lyme or co-infections because they're at zero. They're gone simply from parasite cleansing. And that's why I- But Chris, because the the Lyme is inside the parasite. Totally. The parasite goes, so does the Lyme. Well, exactly. But um, I do think everyone's levels are probably a little bit different, but I've had so much- heartache with these parasites and I'm still dealing with them. But basically a lot of my symptoms I can attribute to parasites. Yes. And of course, Lyme was living inside of them. But now for me, I don't know exactly what my next treatment will be. I'm hoping that I'm going to be done because I feel really great for the most part. Um, But I don't plan on doing more Lyme specific treatments unless something happens and I need to, but that's been my journey. And that's why I think everyone needs to kind of be open-minded about all the other co-infections and ailments that happen with Lyme disease and not just say fixated on, you know, Borrelia bacteria. Yeah. So Krista, one of the things that makes me wonder is because we talked to uh, Dina Berkowitz, the the president and founder of of Lyme TV, and she talked to us about the same thing you're saying. It's not just Lyme disease and we call it Lyme Mm -hmm. disease. You know, Rich and I, when we say chronic Lyme disease, we mean all of the above. We mean parasites. We mean co-infections. We mean any kind of, you know, Babesia is a parasite, right? It's a bloodborne parasite. You can have, you can have worms in your intestines. You can have we know you can have GI-based parasites. We know you can have bloodborne parasites. So, but what I always wonder is in your situation, this is a hypothetical probably that nobody can know the true answer to. If you didn't do all of the aggressive treatment you did early on for Lyme and co-infections and viruses and things like that to build up your body, mm-hmm. would you be responding as well today to the parasite treatment? That's where the whole order of operations comes in. And it is totally. sort of a trial and error there to identify what is the best pattern, what to do first. And you know that's a hard question to answer. So somebody's listening and saying, I'm going to jump all treatment and just go to parasites and I'm going to be better, I think is probably not fair to tell somebody no. who diagnosed just treat parasites and you're going to feel better because there's so much yeah. more going on as well. well. Yeah, because I did the hyperthermia and all of that and I hit it really, really hard in the beginning. But I think a lot of people relapse because they didn't hit parasites. Agreed. Because parasites continue to carry Borrelia bacteria. Hide it. They, it hides. Um, so I do think in my order of operations, you know, which is, it starts with drainage and then I do parasites first. Um, I do think that can be very important because then you're going to have less of a chance to relapse later. Now, many people who do that will have to treat Borrelia and other co-infections after and viruses and chemicals. And I've been doing a lot of viruses and chemicals with binders and mold and heavy metals and all of that too. Um, but I do think we've talked about this a lot. I've become some somehow like this parasite girl in this community because I've learned how important they are and how crucial they can be to this healing journey. And I really hope that other people are open to that. People don't want to do parasite cleansing because it's scary and it's gross. 
I talk a lot about butt stuff and I mentioned that in the book too. And we just got to let that go. We got to talk about it. We got to, you know, healing is number one and healing can happen. And we have to do what sometimes we don't want to do. But specifically with parasites, and I know you talk about this in the book, but I want to say this again, because a lot of people listening, there is this parasite I'll call it trend happening in the chronic Lyme community where people are jumping on this parasite bandwagon. And I believe rightfully so, but many people are being misguided in my opinion. And Richard and I have talked about this in great detail by people saying, just take this and you're going to address the parasite. And people have really bad responses to it because they're not doing the proper steps to prepare their bodies, or they're yeah. not doing things in parallel to help flush these parasites out. And yeah. just like treating Lyme, if you're killing Lyme bacteria and you're not detoxing and you're not flushing those, those, those toxins 100%. out of your body, you're going to get sick and toxic. And we've seen so many oh, people have that problem. So much. Herxing, people maybe, I don't know if they don't think that herxing is possible with parasite cleansing, but it 100% is. And it's hard and it's time consuming. I'm now on what, seven, eight months straight of parasite cleansing and I'm not done. I think I'm getting close, but it has been very difficult and it's not easy. Um, yeah, I, I think parasite is so vital you know, parasite cleansing on this journey, but uh, detoxing and having your drainage pathways open is huge. And also with the Cellcore products that I use, I take all these binders that address mold and heavy metals and viruses and chemicals. So some of it goes overlapping. You know, I write this protocol, but also it goes hand in hand. You know, you can, I'm treating um, parasites at the same time as treating mold. Now they, Cellcore also has tinctures for Lyme disease. They have for the co-infections and many people do them both at the same time. Every, and that's why it's so important to work with a practitioner who can guide you on that and who can muscle test you and energetically test you. Many of them work remote. I work with a remote person over Zoom and they can test you and change your protocol every week. So it's important to do that and to be working with someone who can really guide you on that. So we're really talking a lot about here, part one of your book, which is your story and healing journey, which begins with yeah. a lot of things that are not par you know, parasite related. Although, and without giving away too much, you did address parasites a little bit before you came back to them more recently. And yes. you've, you've now have round two of parasites in your book. That you well, talk about someone the, was told me that you could take, you know, a pill for three weeks and be done with parasites, which is just inaccurate. <laughs> So the, the other part is, again, as somebody listening who has been in, sick with chronic Lyme disease for many years, they're going to think, what am I going to learn from Chris's journey that I haven't learned through my own journey, right? And again, what did I learn? And knowing your journey, there was a lot of things that I learned that we haven't heard about in pretty much most of our podcasts. So one of the things that we found most interesting about your journey is the glycol shots and what they do. And we, you know, the butt shots essentially for, for Lyme disease that you had. Also, when people hear hyperthermia and you say, well, I, I had hyperthermia for Lyme disease, Many people go to like going to Germany or Mexico and having hyperthermia, you know, induced and, and being put in a chamber and having antibiotics pumped through them. But your experience was much different. You had an herbal induced hyperthermia experience, which is different than those that other people have gone through. So you can learn from that experience as well. But I guess what I want to ask you, Krista, is what's 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 about your journey can help other people who are, who have gone through the journey and think they can't learn anything from your experience, because we know it's simply not true, but give us a little more detail about your journey and how you think it could help people that have chronic Lyme disease and have gone through decades worth of treatment and trial and error. Oh, well, just in my part one of the story, your entire Lyme journey. So what, what about your journey? Krista's Lyme disease journey. When you share your journey in part one of your book can I help people that are chronically ill. I, I really think it's because I show, I, I show my failures. Um, 
I've, I've, I've written about it all ups and downs and just to keep going. I think so many people, uh, what's not talked about a lot is the failures. And we see these star names and who go to see these star doctors and they're better. And you don't always see the ups and downs or when you had to leave a doctor, when you felt like you were gaslit, when you felt like you were, you know, alone on this journey and we're never alone. We're not. Um, so I think that sharing my story will help people have some aha moments, I hope, because when I read Bite Me, I was like, oh my gosh, that happened to me too. That's a symptom of Lyme. Oh my gosh, that was my story. That's so similar to what I had to deal with as a kid, la la la, all these things. And I just think it's important. Um, I hope I hope my story helps other people. That's that's the bottom line. It will, Kristen, and it has helped me. And you know, let me expand upon that for you a little bit. So one of the things that I learned from your journey is that we've talked to some of the some really, really smart people that have IQs far greater than mine that are stuck on this emotional trauma because they were mistreated by doctors and they don't want to mm-hmm. admit that they made mistakes. And you just said, I share my failures. And when people make mistakes, they stay, they stick with them and they don't want to, they don't want to pivot or deviate from them because they feel it makes them seem weak and they get stuck. So when we speak to Richard, I speak to these really smart people all the time who don't want to admit that they need to change because what they did didn't help them and they get stuck. And I think that, you know, hearing somebody like you who's really smart, who's now an author, who's now influencing the community, being so open and vulnerable about your experiences is going to help other people break down that wall of saying, I can't be wrong. I can't admit weakness because it's not weakness. And we have to be able to be open and honest and say, I made a mistake or that didn't work for me and try something else. And you are so fluid with that in your experience and and, in your book. It's about sharing the failure, but then keeping going too, for sure. And trying something new and being open to other possibilities of healing, being open to energy healing, being open to whatever it is. You know, there's so many treatment options out there, both Eastern and Western, and you have to be open to it. You have to be open to this process. And I wasn't at first because I was so fixated on this is how I'm going to heal. And then when it didn't happen, you get stuck. What do you do next when that's what you were told? That's what the entire world around you says. You do this and you're going to get better. And then it doesn't work. What do you do? Well, you keep going. And so that's what I share. I share where I got, that's how my life. And that's how my life is continuing to be. And that's when I will write a memoir, which I hope you read, Rich. (laughs) You know, my journey is not completely done, but I've had a long journey and I've had major ups and downs, but at the bottom of it, I've always kept going. And I think for people to see that can really help. Thank you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp interview with our guest, author, Kristen Annos. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Kristen Annos and our personal journey with Lyme disease, please download episode 135 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends by using the social media button you see at the bottom of the post. Third, if you'd like to purchase Krista's book, TikTok, It's Lyme O'Clock, please go to amazon.com. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, we thank you, our community, for your comments on our past podcast episodes. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on iTunes, on Instagram, or on our website. We make it a point to read every one of the reviews you leave us. Thank you, as always, for listening.